the new website for Technically Speaking is live. Say what? I just launched the website for Technically Speaking. Say what? I just launched the website for Technically Speaking. Say what? Yeah, you heard it right. I mean, I just pressed the button like five minutes ago, so there might be some bugs, but you should still check it out. So what's the deal? Now you've got a home where you can stream each and every single episode as you choose, even over AirPlay, full text transcripts, and links to content our guests reference in each recording. Head on over to gettechnical.io. Not.com.io. That's gettechnical.io. I will tell you this, when I started this, when I got to like episode three, I was like, oh man, 10, 10 is going to be a long way from now, but it feels good to get here for sure. Congratulations. This is historical. My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. We are back with episode 10. My guest is Renee Reed. She's had over 20 years of professional experience across so many different industries, project management, sales, customer success, and that's all contributed to her successful career as a staff user experience design researcher in the Silicon Valley. We'll be talking about the art and science of design research, which I'm really excited about. Um, Along with that, we'll discuss some tactical ways to apply methods and drive the value of research in business settings. Here is Renee in her own words. The main thing I would call out is that user research, design research, design is a journey. And when you become part of this journey, Um, It can be an amazing adventure, but the point is that along this journey, things are going to change, things are going to be great, things need to get better, but um, just know that this is a journey filled with ups and downs and turns and all things, but um, once you get on here, just know that you have a responsibility uh, to make the experience about the human. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Technically Speaking. I'm your host, Harrison Wheeler, and I'm super excited about having Renee Reed on the show, a.k.a. The Renee, a.k.a. The Queen. What else did I miss? Welcome to the show. The Queen of Dropping Gems, the Queen of Head Wraps. You were on a roll. Don't let me stop you. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, before the end of this episode, we, you need to put in a plug for those head wraps. I'm waiting on, I'm, I'm specifically waiting on the do-rag version of the mask, <laughs> face mask and do-rag combination. Uh, but definitely give her a follow on the Instagram. We'll have, she'll, she'll tell us all that towards the end of the episode. Um, so how are you doing these days? What, what's going on? Listen, it's day by day. It's finding the joy in the little things. And just making happiness and dope things happen uh, as much as possible. You've had a pretty eventful summer. I know you had a few speaking engagements. Uh, Unfortunately, couldn't have them in person. Uh, But how's that experience been like? And and why don't you why don't you give us an idea of some of the, the things you've been involved in over the past year? Yeah, I've had some really great, like you said, speaking and panel opportunities. Um, what's interesting about doing it virtually now is definitely the reach. 
uh, definitely more global, of yeah. course, where people are able to participate and tune in all over the world. And so that's been great in the sense that I get to uh, get a new audience, right? Um, unfortunately, like you said, I can't do it in person. I was supposed to be in South Africa for a conference this year yeah. uh, and had to do that virtually. But it just gives me an opportunity to reach people. I've um, talked to people in the Netherlands. Um, and so it's a different experience, but the message gets to be uh sent out uh, the same, but just broader. Yeah. So does it feel like it's been more of an opportunity despite sort of everything going on? Absolutely. I mean, you know me, I'm an optimistic, sometimes cautiously optimistic, but I'm going to always find the good and the opportunity in things. So even when things seem like, you know, there's a roadblock or an obstacle, I always turn those obstacles into opportunities. So um, it's just allowed me the the chance to uh, sharpen my craft even more, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because now being on screen, there's a whole different focus point. You've got to present a little bit different. You know, I'm one who is very um, expressionist. Like I use my hands a lot and things like that. And that comes off a lot differently on screen versus when I'm able to walk on stage and things like that. So I've had to sharpen my craft uh, and being able to, present in the most effective way to the audience. So it's good. Let's let maybe go into your resume a little bit. So right now you're a staff user experience design researcher at LinkedIn. Uh, you're a board member of the Interact Project and Opportunity Junction. You got your master's from UC Irvine and undergraduate from Savannah State. You're also a full-time mother. And so what advice would you give to our listeners when they're trying to balance like quite a bit and given sort of like the state of everything, trying to trying to get those goals? Yeah, I attribute a lot of my um, eclectic activities and all the things to part of my childhood and growing up. I was super active in multiple sports every season. I was involved in some sport, whether it's cheerleading, softball, volleyball, uh, on top mm. of playing the piano or dancing ballet, or doing theater. So I was always involved in multiple things. And that gave me such a wide range of views, experiences, people. And that's really carried over into my professional life, my in my career. And so, um, you know, I, I, I do have to always take inventory because it does seem like I'm doing all the things all the time and I'm in multiple places. Um, and I understand that. I'm not saying that's for everyone, but where I thrive in that yeah. is that I am able to take all these multiple experiences and really craft my own story, my own journey, um, and just have a culmination mm-hmm. of all these experiences. So, you know, going to an HBCU in my undergrad, such an incredible experience. Shout out to all my HBCU graduates, historically by college and universities. Um, and then, you know, doing my master's in a PWI. And so I was able to have these different experiences, right? Um, I was, I went, as you know, my master's was completed later on in my career journey. I didn't get my master's right after undergrad. Yeah. So that gave me a different perspective there. Um, you know, I waited until I had a lot of industry experiences to then um, get board experience so that I can bring a lot of my um, industry and domain knowledge into these nonprofit spaces as well. So, hmm. you know, not everything was calculated, as I'm saying, 
but I do um, appreciate the journey that I've taken myself on um, to do all these things. And then motherhood. Motherhood for me started early um, in, uh, while I was in college. And so, you know, it was, I was growing up and raising children at the same time. But now it has been just a yeah. great pleasure to have, you know, older children and this time frame where I am able to uh, thrive awesome. in these many spaces. So how do you think some of that shows up to, you know, how you work and, and how you approach research? Yeah, as a design researcher, again, having those uh, holistic views um, into everything mm-hmm. really, again, I attribute to a lot of the experiences I had growing up as well as, you know, my present day uh, activities. So able to see things um, end to end in different lenses, you know, as, uh, you know, taking in as a professional, as a mother, as someone who is a mother to a millennial, all these different things that I have access to and have firsthand knowledge. And I can at least take that in account. Not saying again, of course we say, you know, we're not our users. Uh, We don't want to create that bias, but I'm thinking about those things top of mind. So I'm at least challenging my partners around groups that they're not thinking about, you know, as a Mm. minority, as a woman, as someone who sees all these different things in my day to day, I can then bring that to my work and then be able to present that information to say, listen, we may be missing things um, along right. the journey. Do you, do you find, I mean, just kind of given, uh, you know, the events of this year and more focus on, on you know, diversity, inclusion uh, and equality, have you found those conversations now to be easier to have versus before? I don't think that they're necessarily easier. Um, you know, I've mm-hmm. always erred on the side of when they're uncomfortable, then that means mm-hmm. it, it's time to talk about it. And so I don't want people to get into the right. habit of, you know, it's easier. So now let's talk about it. And that's when we should talk about it when it's easier. You know, it, that shouldn't be the measure of right. when things are brought up. Right. And so there's always a right time to bring up things that are wrong. And that's where people need to understand, right? right? We, these conversations have been happening. Um, It's just that people are listening a little bit more intently now, which is great. But when Mm -hmm. people stop listening, I don't want people to get comfortable and say, and, and not want to be able to bring up these discussions. So it's something that in just my own experience that I've, I've always been uh, mindful of that, you know, I'm not just going to speak up when everyone wants to listen. I'm going to always make sure and, you know, yeah. speak up when, you know, when people are maybe a little bit uncomfortable. And it's, I think people have to get to the position now, um, especially now that there is a sort of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. So I want to, before we sort of get into the art and science of, of design research, I kind of want to set that up. Okay. Um yeah. Because I'm a I'm a very uh, I'm a I'm a huge believer in uh, self reflection, right? Looking back at your career, and you, you've been doing user research for quite some time. You've achieved some seniority, uh, if you will, uh, in regards to just like your day to day role. Um, how has your approach to research evolved over time? What are some things that 
maybe, you know, this sounds very cliche, you weren't really thinking about when you first started in the game where now it's it's always sort of top of mind whenever you, you get into that mode. So I pivoted into user, user research um, 15 years into my professional career. So I had been a product manager, uh, someone in sales, uh, customer uh, success, as they call it now. It wasn't called that back when I was doing it. Um, and so I pivoted through industry and I had gotten uh, certifications and really hands on uh, industry knowledge and skills as I was uh, developing as a user experience researcher. I had amazing mentors that helped coach me and things like that. But as I began to grow as a researcher, um, and again, I, I, I mastered a lot of the art of research, right? Um, and I understood collaboration really well, understanding relationship building with my stakeholders and being able to present and um, all these things that I, I, I've qualified as the art of research. But what I felt like I was missing along the way, and I started to realize that I did not have the complete knowledge of the science of research, that industry wasn't necessarily providing, you know, I could do the tactical things mm -hmm. of research and, you know, setting up a great research plan and creating um, a great research study to some degree, um, being able to work my, with my design partners really well, understanding the tools that they're using, their constraints. But then as I, along the way, I started to understand uh, the psychology of UX research, of design, mm -hmm. the cognitive sciences that have so much to do with what's being designed, that there is rigor and um, principles that have been around for many, many years that I was not necessarily applying in the School of Discipline of Research and UX uh, and Design Research, because industry had really encapsulated its own type of discipline of research and design, right? They, hmm. you know, with, with the speed of everything, uh, with wanting things, you know, yeah. with design thinking being top of mind, you know, those are type of things that you know, I leaned on. Like, I know how to execute that. I know how to do all those things. Right. But there was like the backstory, the foundational stuff that I really started to discover that I was missing. And so as a lifelong learner, yeah. Um, you know, I was just always learning and reading. And I, as I acquired more knowledge, I was like, wow, this, this is a lot deeper than <laughs> I think that I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm at. And I wanted to make sure that uh, I was doing the craft justice, that I you know, wasn't just showing right. up in industry and not appreciating, um, again, the academic rigor and principles and cognitive sciences um, that a lot of research is both research as itself is a science. And I think sometimes in industry, mm. people forget that the very rigor and discipline of research yeah. is a science. And that's not to say when you hear science, people kind of freak out, <laughs> like, you know, it's something that's yeah. far off, it's not attainable and things like that. But, you know, science is all around us. And it's just being able to apply it and not be afraid of it. And that's where right. I decided 
later on in my career that I really wanted to dig my heels into um, building that force of the art and the science of research and, you know, putting those together and really executing in those effectively. Ever have an idea of starting a podcast? I had one for quite a while before I took the leap and started Technically Speaking. Anchor.fm made it easier than ever. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, and it has everything you need in one place. Let me explain. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone, tablet, or computer. It handles all of your distribution so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Did I mention it's free? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah. So how does that, how does that dynamic manifest itself? Like, especially when we talk about like the, you know, product life cycle, maybe it's even outside of that. Is it something that we're only seeing like early in the process, like later in the process? Like, is it a back and forth type of thing? Like what, what does that dynamic look like? Yeah, it's not, it's definitely not a linear process, right? It's something mm. that is happening asynchronous, asynchronously, um, you know, it's going around, you know, clockwise, counterclockwise in all directions. And, mm-hmm. you know, in a product life cycle, you know, you're hitting these milestones along the way. But what I realized with the science of research that became really important to me is, you know, leveraging a lot of the principles and disciplines and rigor of research, secondary research, lit reviews that had already been done to really triangulate Mm -hmm. the work, the present work that was being happening, that was happening in, you know, the product life cycle. So not just taking the results of a user study that was happening in that particular moment. But how was I, again, then triangulating it, associating it with um, even larger research studies, even bigger Mm. um, papers and things that have been proven over time, and really elevating the knowledge of research and user experience and to help my partners understand, right, Uh, that it's bigger than just this moment that they're trying to solve for, that there's a long um, you know, cognitive human behavior that we need to take uh, into account. So, you know, yeah. it's it's a it's something that happens over time, especially with someone who pivoted. And so, I had to acquire you know a knowledge along the way. Um, and then, as you, as I began to become more of a domain expert in you know certain areas, I was able to really dig deep into that particular domain expertise, which is really helpful, right? Because then as you start seeing things, you can grab some things out of your your vault, your toolkit that you know you have that you're aware of in that domain and pull it out and say, hey, you know, let's be mindful of this principle. Let's be mindful of this um, study that was done, you know, X amount of years ago or things like that. So here's the burning question, right? Like, um, we talk about like the the art and science of design research. Can I just pick up a book? Is this something that you have to learn over time? I know there's a lot of listeners that are early in their careers. They might be, uh, you know, in that pivot process and considering research as a career. And they hear you talk about the art and science of of design research. Like, where do you start? What are the things that 
you you dig into to start to understand the craft, right? To understand these principles, uh, to understand, you know, some of this foundational knowledge. Yeah. And it's interesting because some people think that it's, again, this other universe that they have to, you know, investigate, but especially with students, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always tell them like, are you taking a psychology class? Yes. Guess what? You're going to be able to apply, you know, those, some of those learnings that you're taking in psychology to your design work or your research work. So it's not that far mm-hmm. um, fetched in what they're doing. However, you know, for people who may have not gone that route of the science route in, you know, undergrad or in their master's, there are ways to, again, obtain domain knowledge that yeah. you can start applying in doing the research in the origin, um, you know, research that already has been done in spaces like AI. You know, AI, when you know people think it's something new, not a lot of us in the community, but, you know, when people are just kind of entering in, they're like, oh, AI is like this new future thing. And it's like, hmm, it's been around a lot longer than you think, right? And so you just see how right. it's just changed you know, over uh, time and having that understanding of how human, human interaction really plays out. And so it's not necessarily something that uh, you have to go back to school for right away if that's not feasible right now. Um, But it is something Mm -hmm. that you can start researching and taking the time to acquire that knowledge, read up on research papers read up on, um, you know, the subject matter experts in different fields and domain knowledge that you can start really acquiring. And I think over the overarching theme of this is that you do have to invest some time, whether it's picking up a yeah. book and reading, whether it is, you know, going back to school, it's all about investing in how you want to uh, be in the industry as a researcher, right? How do you want to elevate your mm-hmm. skill sets to go to that next level? And what do you need? Um, and so I'm just a big proponent of acquiring that that science piece and making sure that people um, understand yeah. that. So so how might, if, we ha- if we're looking at two different organizations, you have uh, an organization like, as you said, might, might not go through this rigor, Right. And then you have another one that is how might that manifest itself from the output of, of whatever, you know, they're they're designing or working on? That's a great question. So I know, you know, in larger organizations or more mature organizations, you will find, you know, your Ph.D. researchers, you know, even research scientists that this is, you know, their space, their workhouse. They are constantly um you know, reading and writing this type of information and then sharing it out. So those organizations have that, you know, readily available so that if new things are happening, they can just, you know, investigate it with these amazing skilled practitioners um, that are trained for this. You know, in younger organizations or organizations that are very, um, you know, driven in terms of getting things out faster and things like that, you know, the science of things sometimes has this connotation of being slower, um, that it doesn't uh, help get to, you know, that end state, that product state fast enough. But I always tell people, if you have this information readily available, like there, the point is that you get to go faster because you already have it embedded into your system. So these principles, this rigor 
already becomes part of the workhouse and the wheelhouse so that you can actually move faster. And I go back to saying what I said um, previously about it has to be an investment, right, in time and space. And so what happens is, to your question about how does this manifest, when you have an organization that has a strong focus on the output, so you have dozens and dozens of designers, but you don't have that support system of researchers who are able to manifest this information very quickly, that's when it becomes this, you know, constraint or push and pull where it seems like, oh, this is taking so long. Well, if you look at the numbers here, <laughs> this is why, because, you know, the, the numbers of researchers that are able to, you know, derive all of this knowledge at one time um, becomes harder when you have so many things being pushed out. So, you know, th there is a balance of, you know, an organization having to find out where they want to, um, how they want to show up and how they want to be effective in the industry. And so, you know, it's just, I, I hope that there is, I think we're starting to see it a little bit and some organizations do this extremely well. Um, but I think there's something to learn from organizations that do invest the time in this type of rigor of research where designers can, you know, quickly get that and gather that information or at least have that information that's being transformed, transformed, let's get the word right here, being transferred, you know, from the research discipline to designers and they'd be able to, uh, to act on it very quickly. One piece that we didn't touch on on the art and science of design research. Um, and I get this a lot. And I'm sure you've gotten this before in, in some of the, the webinars that you've been able to kind of present at, right? So this question of how do we make our organizations see the value of research, right? You almost, to your point, you know, you have to have the time and space to be able to execute on these things. What advice would you give to folks that are trying to kind of pitch that in their organizations? <laughs> Did I stump you, Renee? <laughs> it's one of those things because it's, 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 you know, the, the lifelong question. You hear that so much. And like you said, of, you know, how can we make yeah. research, you know, top of mind for people and how, and it's just, it's frustrating, you know, when I, when we're still at this level of innovation and progress and there's still people and there's still a lot of people in the industry, you know, having to say that, how do we make research more important? And just like, how can it not be important? And I think what's mm -hmm. happened is unfortunately that in, in too many instances, you know, there's been this division between design and research, right? And design in itself has been seen, again, the art of design and, you know, all those things, you know, has been elevated to some degree, you know, more than research and research is sometimes like the afterthought, right? And I challenge people in industry and in organizations yeah. to be like design, re and I love saying design research uh, versus you know, UX research because the design part yeah. slips people's minds sometimes, but as design research or design researcher, you know, it's hand in hand. As a researcher, I am designing and helping to design an experience. 
as a researcher, again, I may not be uh, doing the pixels or taking care of the elements of the components or things like that. Um, well, sometimes because I can play around in Figma too. <laughs> but, you know, I am part of the design process. And I think we just need to do a better job of understanding the value of when design and research are in lockstep. Yeah. And, you know, in the ultimate dream world, I would mm. love there to be uh, more of a or closer to a one to one ratio. You know, a that lot would of be times amazing. it's. <laughs> And that would be incredible, right? If you were actually teamed up or even one to two and some, it wouldn't even be that bad. But, you know, there's some cases where that ratio is just totally disproportionate. Um, And I Mm. think that puts a lot of strain on research um, as an organization and individuals. And so I think the industry as a whole Mm. needs an overhaul. And and again, I I won't say that everyone's like this because I know that there's organizations doing this exceptionally exceptionally well. So um, Chef Kiss, hats off to them. Um, But I think more industry needs to understand the value of really creating um, research uh, as, you know, that top Mm. of mind, front and center, as design research on hand to help drive that innovation, right? To help drive that forward thinking. And we can do that you know, again, with the science, with the rigor, with all this information, with the analysis, with the synthesis, with all these things that we can have access to. And like you said, having the yeah. space to do that. Um, and I think if we just start changing that mindset, we realize that it actually helps organizations, the product cycle, go faster. But we're able to do that. Reminds me of 10, 10 years ago, it might be a little bit further, but there's a lot of conversation around like design, getting a seat at the table that businesses need to really value that. And I think that Airbnb sort of design first approach really kind of flipped all of that on its head. I think one of the things, unfortunately, that got lost in that whole thing is the research side of it, right? Um, And so I I think we're kind of at that point, like, again, 10 years later, I will say, you know, consumers, members, however you want to call it, people, we are more conscious about what do we want to do with our data, right? We understand we understand sort of the consequences of technology in society. And so I think there is an even higher and more elevated role that research needs to play because we're actually looking at things that are going to be impactful from a societal perspective. We're not just looking at things in sort of like the vacuum of software anymore. Right. Um, So it's, it's, it's bigger, it's bigger than, it's bigger than the screen now. Um, It always has been. Right. I just don't think there was there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of folks just really weren't conscious about it. And so um, I'm glad that we're starting to kind of see those conversations start to happen. But it seems like there's still a ton of work that has to be done here yet. There's still a ton of work. And I, like you said, there I think there are starting to have those conversations. And even, you know, those designers who have been you know successful in their career, they're even speaking out and saying, listen, that experience, though it, you know, we thought it was great at the time in retro, we were actually doing more harm to the user than we were good. Um, and I think there is starting to, starting to be more of a reckoning into mm. design and you know, design ethics have been around forever, right? Um, it's right. just now people are really starting to lean in on it, and I think this is where research can really have not just that voice. You know, I think 
the voice of the table argument needs to be shifted to, you know, or the seat at the table needs to be shifted to, you know, who's really calling the meeting, not even having right. the seat, but research needs to be the ones that are calling the meeting to get everyone at the table. Not that yeah. we're at the table, we need, need a seat, but we need to call the meeting, right? Um, and bring everyone yeah. in um, and be that driving force of why we need or not don't need uh, to build or do uh, those type of designs and, you know, the effects on the human experience. And I think that's the most important thing that we're starting to see now is that there is this really, um, like I said, hard awakening, reckoning into we are designing for humans and the things that are happening have long-term global effects Mm. into what we're doing. And there's a responsibility. And so it's not just about the bottom line anymore, or it shouldn't have been in the first place, but you know, where can we really start making sure that we have accountability in the design um, and make sure that we're doing the right thing over time? Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Renee. It was a pleasure. Um, how can people find out more about you? So you can find me on LinkedIn uh, and connect with me on LinkedIn. You can also find me on Instagram at the, T-H-E-E, two underscores, Renee. So the Renee. Um, Come check out all my UX gems and, of course, my beautiful queen of head wraps pose. Um, and then also on my website, therene.com. Oh my gosh. And Twitter, of course. How can I forget all the things, all the social media sites? <laughs> Type in the Renee. Um, and yeah, the underscore Renee. Are there any, are there any things coming up that you're looking forward to that also might be uh, worth the plug? There, what isn't coming up, but, um, I'd say, <laughs> uh, there's a couple of ones, but, uh, one in September, which I'm really excited about is called the state of black design and it's going to be a mix of academics and industry um black designers and researchers and like i said academics that are really going to um leave no rock uncovered and unturned um about the subject of the state of black design so um everything from um brand design and uh site design and research and sorts so it's going to be an amazing discussion google it of course um it's an event bright it's free and uh just join the conversation and be able to watch this it's going to be um it's going to be a good one has an sure. amazing lineup i i you every anybody listening should definitely sign up for that um and then is there anything else that you'd want to leave with our listeners today the main thing i would call out is that user research design research design is a journey and when you become part of this journey, um, it can be an amazing adventure. But the point is that along this journey, things are going to change. Things are going to be great. Things need to get better. But um, just know that this is a journey filled with ups and downs and turns and all things. But um, once you get on here, just know that you have a responsibility uh, to make the experience about the human Thank you, Renee. And that's a wrap. I see what you did there. <laughs> I see what you did there. Enjoy this episode? Be sure to hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast platform that you use.
You can also subscribe to my newsletter at harrisonwheeler.com for the latest industry insights, new article posts, and announcements of future guests on the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode of Technically Speaking. I'm your host, Harrison Wheeler, and I'm out.